Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pinnacles Producers Podcast. Today, I am joined by Overseas, spelt O-V-R-C-Z-Z, if you're American. And just an incredible and knowledgeable music producer slash audio engineer. He recently got into internet money. Uh, We recorded this podcast before he got in, but congratulations to him. You can definitely see why uh he's in a group that's um that's well a group like internet money that's so prestigious and important to to the music industry right now you can see why he why they wanted him in there so it's it's very clear and this episode has a lot of little little bits about the industry he's got quite a bit of um uh education on that so there's a lot in here and it's going to be really insightful for you guys. I hope it's as insightful as it was for me, for you. And yeah, uh, that being said, this conversation was cut short. This episode's about an hour long, um, but it was actually cut short due to audio issues on my end. So we just cut that interview when I had the issues. That being said, uh, we plan on doing something. We plan on doing another episode, a continuation of this, if you will. And you know, that all depends on the response. If you guys really enjoy it, and I, I think a lot of people will enjoy it, but if this gets the right uh, response, we'll get into another episode. And um, that other episode will be quite a change of gears, I think. I think it'll be a change of pace because when we got cut short, he was telling a very touching story, a very personal story. And we didn't really get to um, obviously delve into that because we were, we were cut short. But in the following episode uh with overseas if if this gets the right response and we get to it i definitely plan on touching on more about him as a person and and his personal stuff because i think a lot more people are interested in that now especially with uh his the growth of his personal brand after internet money so that all being said um enjoy this episode and definitely leave it a rating if you have been enjoying some of the other episodes as well. That helps me out a lot. I'm not asking for for much, not asking for I don't have anything else to promote, but leave it a rating. If you're on Apple uh, Podcasts, especially that, that really helps me out. Leave a review, leave a written review, and um, let me know how you found it. Enjoy. While I go by overseas, obviously, OVRCZ. Uh, a lot of people have trouble with that, so I just have to explain it. But um, And that came from... One, I'm half Asian, so just, you know, paying homage to, like, multiculturalism, just, like, being biracial and also just wanting to go all over the world with music, you know, so that's kind of, like, how I came up with that, and I've just been running with that since, I want to say 2014, I was, like, halfway through high school, because I'm about to finish college now, I'm in my last year, so, um, you know, I've been producing for 10 years, I've also picked up audio engineering, on business and branding consultations, legal assistance for producers, uh, dabbling in management and marketing, even getting into like Spotify playlisting and that kind of stuff. So honestly, I've just been hitting across the board, like at this point, just trying to, you know, make opportunities wherever I can and just take advantage of them. It's cool to really actually hear that in person because I know you're quite involved in various aspects of uh, the music industry and music creation. Starting off, can you explain to people who wouldn't know, and I'm guilty of getting these confused, what is a music engineer? Like, what do they do? Or is that definition kind of up for interpretation? Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty standard. So basically, like, you know, we're producers, so we would make the beat, we would compose all the different melodies, pick the different sounds of the instruments, get it sounding like roughly how we would want it to sound. But then, you know, the artist is going to do a song on it. They're going to put their vocals, different layers and stuff like that. So then what the engineer is going to come in and do is they're going to, one, mix the beat fully. Like a lot of times it's probably just not ready yet. Like there's a lot that can be done in terms of shaping the vibe. And it depends too. Like you don't want to do too much of that before the artist gets on it because you don't know the vibe of the song. Like they could take it in a certain direction where it would make sense for it to be mixed one way. Whereas if they took it in a different direction, like emotionally, it might make sense to do it another way. So, you know, that all comes into play. And like the engineer's job is to take the song and be like, all right, I have all the pieces. What's the best way to like put this together, you know, 
fill in the spaces, like really take it to the next level and just get it ready for like a commercial release. So you're just, you know, putting the beat together, making that sound good, making the vocals sound good, choosing different effects, figuring out how to, you know, do transitions. I think the biggest thing for me as an engineer is like when I listen to a song, I'm always thinking about what is the flow of energy from start to finish? So, you know, the song starts, we have the intro, and then it ramps up into probably these days, you know, the hook is usually first, and then it'll come back down into the verse. And then it's an issue of, like, building up the energy again from the start of the verse to the next hook. So it kind of is like, you know, music has like an up and down flow to it. If it stays the same the whole time, it gets kind of boring. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, my biggest thing as an engineer is, like, I'll listen to a song and be like, you know, this is good. This is a good, solid foundation. We have good vocals. I like, you know, the delivery, the lyrics, the beat, whatever. But how do I make this, like, complete, you know, different effects, stylistic choices to really, like, shape a vibe and make it, like, a finished product is essentially what the engineer is doing. So I, they definitely have a lot of overlap with producers. I, I get why a lot of people get those two confused. And, like, a lot of times people might do both. So, yeah, that's essentially how I'd explain it, though. One of the things you said was trying to keep the song interesting, not repetitive. That's also something I struggle with as a producer, where I I want to make a beat that artists can listen to and rap over without any, you know, hassle, having any extra things going on within the beat, trying to keep it as simple as possible. But at the same time, I want I don't want it to be repetitive. So I struggle with where the line is, where I kind of leave it up to the artist and engineer to you know, mess around with the beat and make it their own rather than me adding various things to make it sound good. But I don't know sometimes if I'm doing too much. Yeah, like I would say, you know, as a producer, I always try to keep it as simple as I can. And like, especially when it comes to transition effect. Well, if you just think about like a song, you know, engineers really do. I think they deserve a piece of the publishing sometimes because they do in a lot of ways act as like an arranger sometimes. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when a producer sends a beat, it's, it's usually, I mean, the industry produces at least, they don't do too much in the way of arrangement, if any. I mean, like they might, you know, drop stuff out and add stuff in, but when it comes to uh like the filters the beat chops the drops the stutters like all that kind of stuff that's really the engineer that usually does that and a lot of people mm -hmm. get those confused like they'll be like damn like the producer made this beat and they did all these cool effects and stuff and it's like no the engineer did that after the song was made and the reason that it makes more sense that way is because like if you make a beat and you do a filter at a certain point you do chops in a certain place like everyone is locked into that mm -hmm. and that means that they can only structure their song a certain way for it to make sense over the beat with what you did. So it's really best, yeah, for the producer to keep it pretty simple, you know, maybe arrange it somewhat, but like the engineer is going to handle, a good engineer is going to handle really shaping like the transitions, the chops to like bring the song together and keep it from getting stagnant. Cause if you just listen to a beat, like it's the same thing over and over, but if you listen to a song, even just dropping the beat out for like two measures at the end of every eight bar phrase like makes a difference in the flow of the song to keep it from getting stale so that's like what the engineer is doing so i would agree with you like don't do too much you know like it's definitely a collaborative process if the producer does too much then there's no point for the artist to get on it the engineer doesn't have room to do what they need to do either so yeah it's like you know it's like an assembly line i like that clarification i think a lot of people will uh, find that valuable um you talked a little bit about publishing you seem to know a decent amount about the industry as compared to a lot of other producers, especially ones that are starting out. In terms of publishing and how splits work and royalties, can you give producers any information, any heads up uh, about the knowledge that you have about that process? Yeah, so I mean, just like in a nutshell, when it comes to publishing, first of all, people need to understand that publishing is separate from streams and from you know if someone downloaded it on itunes that's not pub money that's sales money so that's handled by you know generally speaking the label would get that money and distribute it between the artist and like the producers out of the artist share in terms of publishing that's a whole separate thing that's handled by performing uh the ones that pay it out are the performing rights organizations they're called pros and in, in the u.s uh the big ones are bmi ascap and uh, csac so you know you sign up with one of those and generally, like, you can sign with a publishing company or have one of those. You don't really need one just to collect your royalties as, like, a producer or a songwriter. Um, but essentially, like, 
the way that splits would usually work would be that sometimes it's out of 200% and sometimes it's out of 100%. Hmm. And so, like, um, generally the composers of the instrumental portion of the song would split half of the record and then the composers and writers of the lyrics and, like, the vocal melodies and harmonies, they would split the other half of the song. So, like, in a theoretical scenario, let's say me and you produce a song together and there's one artist and three writers. And so we'll think about it on a 200% scale just to make it a little bit easier, but me and you would each get 50%, so we have 100% in total out of 200. And then the artist and the two writers, if they all contributed, like, equally, would each get 33%. Mm-hmm. So it just breaks down depending on how many people were involved on each side. Like it's normally broken down into the two halves of like the instruments and then like the vocals and like the vocal melody. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's got to do with this is a really hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. I know this is something people struggle with, but publishing is based on uses of the composition, which is different from what they would call a sound recording or a master recording. Um, And so, you know, what that means is the sound recording is the actual MP3 or WAV file of the specific song. It's generally, you know, owned by the record label. They have the rights to the master. And so when money gets made on that, that goes to them. But the composition is the underlying, like, music notation of the song. So let's say me and you, you know, we make a song and an artist does, you know, their vocals. There's, There's all that. And then someone makes a sheet music version of our song, all the same, you know, the chords, the notes, the vocals, the lyrics, all that's the same, but someone can take that and make an entirely different rendition of the song, but it's still the same song. So that's what the composition is, is like the underlying music notation of a song, not the actual song itself, because you could make the same song a bunch of different ways using the same notes and chords and and lyrics. So... When publishing is being paid out, that's because people are using the composition. So even if you don't own the master recording, you're getting paid because you were a writer on that composition. You helped compose that song. And so that goes directly to the writers. Um, It doesn't go through the label. So that's like publishing is a very big way that producers get paid. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but I had a couple of homies who both had like some pretty big uh, records and they're publishing checks for one quarter it's paid out quarterly so every three months Mm -hmm. they're publishing checks for one quarter were each around twenty thousand dollars and it was predominantly off that one that one record that they each had that was like pretty big so Mm -hmm. publishing is like a huge way for producers to get paid especially um and we get you know if we get 50 percent of the record that's a lot better than getting the three percent of the sales um so that's one thing like and people will try to buy you out of your publishing yeah. or give you less than 50% and act like that's the normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, for example, Lil Vo, who did Pull Up With A Stick by Saw Baby, he sold that beat for $2,500, but he didn't read the contract and he sold all his publishing rights and stuff. So he doesn't get like anything off of that song past that $2,500 check, even though that was like a pretty big song. Wow. Um, so that's why you want to keep your publishing, you know, because he probably would have stood to gain a lot more than $2,500 off of his publishing for that song, but he just didn't know, and they finessed him, and they, they bought him out of his rights without him like really realizing what was going on. Um, so that's the biggest thing I would say about publishing is just like, you know, I would definitely encourage everybody to research it because it's a very complex topic, and I've met everyone from bedroom producers to people with platinum plaques who still don't really know how it works exactly. So it's something that's good to like educate yourself on and make sure you understand what it is, like how it works, what are the different ways you're going to get paid. And just knowing that you're, you know, by default entitled to 50% of the song as a producer. So you shouldn't take any less than that. Um, unless it's like a pretty specific situation. That was actually really good information. Cause I've had like starting out, um, as a producer too, I had quite a few, uh, artists hit me up, uh, trying to buy me out of my pub money. And I, at the time didn't even know what that was um i knew enough that i needed to keep or should be looking to keep 50 percent um but i didn't know anything further than that so it's it's nice to uh have that information out there for sure especially for newer producers yeah definitely because that's like like 50 percent. it's not just something i'm pulling out of my ass like that's the industry standard number you know that's i've looked at major label contracts and that's how it works like 
you know, generally you're splitting it up. And it's supposed to be fair, like, it's supposed to be split among the writers of the composition. A label or an artist is not supposed to try and buy you out of your fair share of making your money off of a song you co-wrote, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, that's why you're supposed to keep it. It's not something you just want to give up um, unless, I mean... Obviously, there might be situations where you could really use the cash and they want to buy you out. And like, I, I don't shame anybody who chooses to do things that are beneficial to them because everyone's situation is different. But like, generally, you know, you want to keep your pub, you want to get 50% between the producers and just make sure that that all gets taken care of so that you're getting your proper share because that advance is only going to go so far. And Lord knows nobody's really getting uh, sales royalties because nobody's recouping on their advances and stuff. So, Pass that first advance for the beat. Publishing is your biggest way to make money. Um, and I wanted to—I wanted to also add too—I forgot to say, but like just a couple of the different things that can trigger a payment for publishing include um, if they were to play your song, like you know, let's say you walk into Walmart and they're playing music over the PA system and they're playing your song, or let's say you walk in a bar and they're playing your song. Technically establishments that play music pay blanket license fees to the PROs, ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC to have access to their full catalog. And then, like, every time they play a song, it's recorded in their system. And, like, you know, whenever they pay out the royalties and stuff, they pay out accordingly for how many times they played that song. Um, and similarly, too, technically, like, a lot of people don't know this, but um, if someone performs your song live, like, if an artist performs your song live... There's a, well, for BMI at least, but it's supposed to be for everything. There's a live tracker where you can input that live performance and you get a payout for that. Like, technically, that is something where someone is using your composition and you're supposed to get paid for that. And I'm not 100% clear on the specifics of where that money comes from. Like, in the other scenarios, the money is coming from those licenses that those establishments buy. I assume that if someone performs your song, generally that money would also be coming out of like the license because the venue would have to have one. Um, so that's mm -hmm. probably how it works. But yeah, like even, you know, if a rapper performs your song live on tour every night, you technically can register each one of those as a use of your composition. And then you would get a little payout. It's not going to really be anything, but like it, it is, you know, money. Mm -hmm. You spoke briefly about, uh, these publishing companies. Um, do you have any experience with them? And if so, what what's your opinion on them? So I don't have experience with publishing companies, which like publishers. Um, what I was referring to are performing rights organizations. They're technically okay. like the middlemen, I guess. Right. So they're the ones that handle tracking the usages and paying out the royalties. But like a music publisher is generally a company that... It's hard to say, like, they do all kinds of different stuff, but for one, they might administrate, you know, the collection of a bunch of different royalties. They might help you pitch your, they might help pitch your song to sync license opportunities, movies, different connects in the industry for, like, those kinds of deals. Um, they might set up sessions for you with other artists or writers to put songs together that they can shop to other major artists. Um, so there's a lot of different things they do, but essentially a music publisher, their main goal is just building up a catalog of songs that they're getting a percentage off of like when you are signed to a music publisher and you get a placement let's say mm -hmm. when you fill out that that split sheet for the publishing there's going to be a part for the publishing company and not for the writer which if you don't have a publishing company or you started your own it's just going to be you but if you are with a publishing company then they would be getting a percentage of those royalties you know i guess in perpetuity unless there's something in your contract where you get them back after a certain amount of time like so that's their goal is like building up a catalog that's going to continue to bring them money. And I mean, you know, they can even, if they choose to, they can sell the rights to that. So you could say, give me $10,000 and I'll give you the publishing rights to this song and you can start collecting the royalties every three months. Mm. Um, so that's basically like their game is just making money and uh, building up a catalog of like songs. I see. But I don't have like too much experience with those personally. That's just like, you know. Mm -hmm. what they what they do in a nutshell like at a general level everyone is different like there's different companies that some of them focus a lot more on just administrative stuff like keeping track of all the paperwork making sure all the places that are generating royalties are paying them out and like explaining that to you some are more 
geared towards actually helping you pitch it and like trying to get you placements or licensing deals for like TV and stuff. It just depends on the publishing company. Gotcha. And so you're sorry, I want to clarify that's not a performing rights organization. No, it is not. The performing rights organizations are just well, the big ones are BMI, ASCAP, and CSAC oh, right. in the US. Okay. Gotcha, yeah, there's gotcha. a fourth one called GMR, which is Global Music Rights. That's a lot newer and smaller. And uh, CSAC and GMR are both invitation only, so they're more exclusive. I don't think there's really much of a difference in how it breaks down in terms of what you're getting paid or anything. It's just who you choose to be uh, represented by and have collector royalties for you. So I'm with BMI personally. BMI, ASCAP, they're both fine you know, options for anybody that wants to sign up so they can make sure they can start collecting their uh, publishing royalties. And BMI is free to sign up as a writer too, so that's like a really good one for anyone who wants to just get it take, taken care of so they have that ready for when the time comes and you don't have to pay a fee to sign up. Yeah, I signed up for BMI a while ago, but I would recommend to any producer who's starting to take it seriously, definitely do that as soon as possible. Because uh, for me personally, I had some issues uh, actually getting confirmation that I was with them, even though I tried multiple times to sign up. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely something. Yeah, yeah, that's care. why I would say like just get it taken care of as soon as you can, mm-hmm. and then once you have that set up, you'll have your your own like writer ID number, and then when that time comes when you have that placement, you have it ready to go, and you don't have to worry about signing up for it and you know having anything go wrong. Absolutely. Um, like I don't even I mean even my biggest record they never submitted it for publishing for whatever reason with Skinny from the Nine I don't know I think he just doesn't even know what it is but uh, like they literally I mean when I got the record with them they didn't know what publishing was at all like I mentioned it and they were like what is that but oh, wow. then he signed with L.A. Reid so I mean after that they should have known but it still just never got submitted like hmm. I don't know what the deal is there's probably some royalties sitting there and that's another thing too if anybody like has pl- placements that that might have generated some money and they haven't submitted it or signed up for bmi or whatever they technically hold all unpaid royalties for i think like up to two years and if you were to sign up and you know get the information taken care of to where they can verify that those are your royalties they would pay out those those you know backed up royalties to you um otherwise like after they've sat there for the two years or whatever, they just disperse all that unpaid money among all of the members of the PRO. Um, so they kind of just give a little bit back to everyone. I'm getting a lot of my uh, royalties and stuff sorted out now. So, so that's uh, good information. Yeah, no, if you have anything that you might be owed some like unpaid royalties on, as long as you get that taken care of, like in a timely, you know, mm-hmm. in a good time frame, like you should still be able to get them to pay you those. Um, yeah, working with artists and producers in person. Um, I know you have worked quite closely with an artist. I I want to. His name's pronounced Bobby, right? I'm not. Yeah, okay. yeah, Bob. Cool. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about working with him. I'm. I assume you've worked with him in person because I think you went to one of his shows. And- yeah, so we went on. We went on tour. We did three cities: um, Houston, Austin, and Dallas in a weekend. And then the night of the Dallas show, we were talking to Bobby and we all, you know, we all just became really good friends. Like going on tour is a great bonding experience. I would recommend anybody who has the opportunity, even if it's just like some DIY shit that your friends booked and you're in a van together going across the country. Like it's worth doing. It's a great experience. Like we were so tired, but we didn't want to leave. But yeah, so like we just had such a good time that uh, he was like, we were like, dude, you should just come back to to new orleans with us and hang out for a week or two and then like someone will drive you back to texas it's only like seven eight hours it's not terrible you know it's like doable um and so he was like yeah i want to come with y'all he doesn't wow. he, you know music is his full-time gig um he makes all his income off streams mm-hmm. so he didn't have anything holding him in texas and so he just came with us for a week and then a week turned into two weeks and then a week two weeks turned into i think i'm gonna stay a month but then before we knew it he had just signed uh, a sublease with our homie Max, and he just wow. moved here. So he came with us and never went back to Texas. Like they went back to get his stuff and his uh, his dog Benji. Wow! But like he just moved out with us. So you know he came out here, and we worked in the studio, probably half a dozen, 
to a dozen times. We only ended up the only you only have one song out right now. Honestly, it's funny how it's funny how that works out with artists that you're really good friends with, and you still don't end up making that much <laughs> music together. But it's just like you know, we don't stress it. I mean, I see that guy literally every day. Mm-hmm. I, I go over to his house and stuff. So like, we're very close friends. Um, you know, I definitely you know worked with him. It was a really good process. We uh, our one record we have out, Bullet, just broke 250k across. Oh yeah. Uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Um, and so, you know, we made that record in the studio here at Loyola University in New Orleans. Um, I had the beat made already for another artist of mine. And nothing ever happened with it. So, like, a month or two went by. We went, we met Bobby. He came out, and then we were just in the studio one night, and he was, like, drinking some Malibu. That's his favorite drink. Um, and he was like, bro, let's just, like, make something or whatever like we were just screwing around so i pulled up that beat and he was like wait like this is really cool because we had made like a bunch of demos probably like four or five demos on like my beats and we never like finished them because we just like start a bunch of stuff and just like are going to come back to it later and so this one he ended up walking in the booth and like i mean it was all recorded and done probably within like 30 minutes of that wow and then, you know, he just sent it off to his engineer, got it mixed, and then we ended up dropping it on Sad Chill on YouTube for uh, Valentine's nice, Day. Nice, nice. And it's at, like, you know, it's at, like, 140K on there because that's a pretty big channel. So, yeah, like, it was just, you know, that was a good experience. He's a great guy. He's got a new album coming out. Um, I thought it was this month, but I guess it's going to be in November mm-hmm. now. But he just dropped a music video as well. So he's doing great. He's just been... You know, he's been in the scene for a long time. It was it was really good to meet him and become such good friends with him because I remember when my homie showed me his music, like, um, even months before we ever, like, were going on tour with him or anything and just, like, showed me him. And I started listening to him a lot and, like, really helped me through some tough times. So, you know, to get to go on tour with him, become good friends with him and end up making a song together and, like, putting it out in the world is just, like, really good moment. But... That's yeah. such a crazy story, actually. I Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, people don't even know all that. I mean, it, it just kind of, like, happened, and it was so low-key. But, like, yeah, we just met Bobby, and we all just, like, became really good friends instantly. And he just moved out here with us, and he's been here for – well, he's been here since January, so he's been here for, like, almost a year now, and he really likes it out here. I think he's not planning to leave anytime soon, so we'll see what happens. Wow. But. I think we all want to try and get to LA or something eventually, so we'll see how that works sure, out. Yeah, I meant to ask you earlier, but you have your own songs too. You do some, you do vocals, and you—I assume you songwrite as well. Yeah, I do. Yeah, and was that something you started after you started producing? Is it something you've always done? Um, you know, it's honestly kind of hard to say. Like. Like I said, I've been producing for 10 years, so I was literally 11 when I started, and, like, it's been a wild ride, but uh, I just, I've always, I mean, this is this is just life backstory, but this is kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing now, but my parents split up when I was about five years old, and so I used to play a lot of sports, and, like, that was my thing, and I was really into that, and then, you know, when, when my family split up and it was just a lot of complications, I had to stop playing sports. Right. And that's when I really realized, like, how much I was in love with music, just the way that it, you know, it got me through so many hard times, the way that I really just, like, couldn't get away from it. I was always that kid that had an iPod everywhere and, like, constantly had earbuds. To this day, I'm the person that constantly has earbuds in. Like, I'm always listening to music uh, hours a day. You know, I love it. But, um, so, I mean, I just, like, I've always been really into poetry, honestly. So, I used to write. And I'm I'm a good writer. I I like to write. I'm good at English and stuff. So, I've, you know, I just used to write a lot of poetry for fun when I was, like, really young. I took, you know, AP English, creative writing and journalism in high school. Mm -hmm. So I got into writing. And then at the same time when I was in high school, I actually, I started off as a band kid. And I was in a bunch of, like, I I was in basically every ensemble that my school had over the course of four years. Um, In band, I played jazz bass, classical bass, like, upright bass, like a full standing bass. I taught myself That's actually crazy. in a matter of a few months. Um, yeah, I play guitar, I play piano, I played a bunch of different percussion instruments. I played synthesizer in like the marching band, so we went down and played the halftime show for the Gator Bowl <laughs> in 2012. Unreal. Um, so that was that was an experience. But like, I did that, and then it's funny. I ended up like I I never was really singing or anything. I mean, I tried it and I really wanted mm-hmm. to, 
and it just like I didn't do anything with it so I was producing for a while and then one day my school this was my freshman year just had this like talent show thing or whatever it was like really chill and I was like screw it let me play guitar and sing a song like it'll just be something to do and like it'll be a fun experience for me to get up and perform and so I did it and then when I finished I walked off the stage and the chorus director was like hey you should join chorus next year like do you want to join and I was like, I was like, sure, screw it. Like, I'll do it. Sounds fun. And then actually, like, so I joined the next semester in the fall, and literally hadn't even been in chorus for a month. And we had our auditions for Maryland Senior Bowl State Cruise. So that's like a thousand people try out, and probably like two. I think two hundred get chosen, but it's like out of guys and girls because there's different voice parts. And I actually made it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, literally had no training, really. I'd been in chorus for a month, and I made all-state chorus. Crazy. And it was, like, a pretty big deal. I was in, like, the school paper and, like, <laughs> the Catholic the Catholic magazine in Baltimore and stuff. Like, my name was in there for that. So I just was, like, so I did that. I was in chorus for, you know, the rest of high school for three years. I made all-state one more time my senior year. So I was in it twice. Um, and when I got to college, I was just making all these beats. I was working with all these different artists. And I was, like, wait a minute. Like, I'm literally a trained vocalist. I was all state twice. Like, I have good vocals. I don't know why I haven't been, like, working on that, yeah. you know? So then I just kind of started, like, writing songs and just putting myself on the mic. I was like, I have to believe in myself a little more and, and just get into that because, like, songwriting... I never realized, too, like, songwriting is such a hard skill to get good at. Like, I always thought everyone was writing their own stuff. Mm. I didn't know that, you know, a lot of these people don't write their own lyrics because it's so hard to even just come up with, like, like the things I write all the time, people are like, wow, like, that's really good. And I'm like, it just comes to me because I'm like, I'm a writer, mm. you know, so I just write, I'll write, you know, I write it like it's poetry. I write it in phrases like I, when I write my songs, they're already broken up into like the hook, the verse, the bridge, like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I just write them in my phone. A lot of times I don't even have a beat and then I just save them and like, I'll find a beat and I'll just put it over that, you know, so i don't know i just kind of got into it that way and like definitely started getting so much good feedback that i kept going with it for a minute i've honestly been off of that for probably like six months now i haven't really recorded anything i've just been working on everyone else's stuff but it's something that i want to like get back into it's just it takes a lot of money and time to succeed as a recording artist and i'm just not ready to like go full dive on that yet but yeah yeah i mean it's just you know it's fun and i've done some good stuff you know also, I mean, it also helped because once I like realized, like, hey, I am a pretty good vocalist. Like, people paid me, people have paid me for features and stuff, even, you know, and like, and I've done songs with my homies that have gotten, you know, I have a lot of songs now as a vocalist that are over like 10, 20K plays. Even we have one, me, Skylar Allen, and Heartbreak P. We have a song called Lately that's, uh, I think it's over like 120K on Spotify now. It's just been like going up since we put it out. Like, getting it playlisted and people are constantly still streaming it, saving it. Like really, you know, people tell me all the time, like, Hey, I found that one song you guys did and I really like it. So it's like, you know, it's just another thing to add. And I guess also like, we haven't been as focused on this now, but like for a lot of college, we were doing a good amount of live performances. So I didn't want to be the only one left out of that. So I was like, let me make some songs too. And then we can all perform together. That's awesome. You know, so me and my homies open for, uh, young pinch back in december oh shit yeah and that's where i met that's where i met taz taylor and chelgy and trevor daniel right, actually right that's awesome um yeah i mean how was that like that meeting you know meeting chelgy taz and trevor how was that it was chill i like they're honestly really good people um me and me and Taz and my friends probably talked outside for the better part of an hour and he was just you know being really nice to us telling us all about everything he's doing he's a very like open book like with the experience that i have with him he's an open book he's not afraid to say what he's thinking or what he's doing like he'll just tell you you know like he's a very welcoming person in my experience i think he gets a bad rap a lot of the time but absolutely i i thought it was a very good meeting you know he told me even that um he was like if you ever find yourself in la come through the internet money house like let's get some work and stuff you know so I wish I had made it out there for that. We'll see if that ever ends up happening. But I mean, to preface this all, though, he's been following me on Twitter for probably like over a yeah. year now, uh, for like a while. And like, I've been following him since 2012. So like, I've, I've been keeping up with him for, you know, the better part of his entire career. So, you know, I've really just seen it all happen. And like, I have a lot of respect for 
everything that he's done that a lot of people like haven't even seen you know how far back the accomplishments go because even like if you just look at what he did this year alone he's crazy but like he's been doing crazy stuff for like a decade so yeah it was really cool and like trevor and chelji were really cool too me and chelji uh bonded over both having jewels so she let me hit her jewel <laughs> and i let her hit mine it was pretty clown but uh we were just hanging out backstage and like i talked to trevor too he was really nice he gave me his phone number like i didn't even really ask for it but he gave me his phone number and his email mm-hmm. and i've talked to him um i talked to him once for a second like probably a month or two ago when all that stuff was happening with his label deal and i just texted him like hey I don't know exactly what's going on, but, like, I see all this stuff, and, like, I hope you're doing okay. I hope everything's working out. And he, like, texted me back and just, like, told me a little bit about it and, like, was just a really genuine guy, you know? So, like, my experience, my meeting with them, I I thought it went really well. Like, they're all really good people. So I'll vouch Um, for them. I was on – I talked to Nick Nash. We – I had him on the podcast about a week ago. I'm going to – I mean, I still have to roll out these episodes, but uh, one thing – I said I was going to touch on and I I forgot to, but we kind of discussed it briefly was just Taz Taylor. Like, I mean, you can't be a producer and not, you know, not talk about him or not come across his name. Like, he's huge. And hearing all the shit that people say about him and, you know, the shit that he goes through is insane to me. Like, I kind of get it. Like, I get, I kind of get where you know where the hate is coming from not that i agree with it but at the same time it just blows my mind like i look up to him i've always looked up to him because i think me and you we've been around long enough that we we've seen him come up from from you know not making the i mean he was making a decent amount of money on the internet but we've seen him come up pretty heavily in the past uh past couple past four or five years even so um, but yeah, just seeing all that is quite disheartening. But uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I get it. I think you know, and he definitely understands having haters. Like you know, oh, with yeah. everything that he's doing, it's it's a given. But um, yeah, no, Taz. You know, I I respect him. I don't I don't have any malice against him. And I think you know, I definitely feel too. Like as I've really gotten into this stuff and seen how cutthroat it is sometimes and how things really go in the industry when it's not like that idealized picture that everyone has in their head mm-hmm. who's never been there before mm-hmm. like i understand why he is the way that he is dude this shit is mad stressful even at, at the level that like me and you were at and yeah you know even with um like what was i gonna say um and just like it's not you know shit isn't sweet so you got to make sure that you look out for yourself because people are always going to take advantage of you and yep. you got to make sure that, you know, you don't give them that opportunity. Like even, you know, a lot of people are very averted to signing paperwork or getting into any of the business talk too early in the process. But really, that's what you should do, because then there's a clear expectation for everybody going forward. Like, this yes. is how it's going to be. Nobody's going to be surprised when you sit down to work out the split sheet and tell them yep. that you think you should get 5% more than them. You know, like mm-hmm. with, when you work it out at the start and like, you know, a lot of people feel some type of way about him taking production credit on a beat he didn't necessarily make but that's literally the entire music industry every big name producer does that you know like they don't do them and like that's another thing too is people need to understand the different meanings of the term producer because in the conventional sense Mm -hmm. the producer was not the one making the beat the producer is like the mastermind so they're the one that says let's get these guys on the beat let's make this kind of beat Let's get these background singers. Let's get this artist. What kind of song should we do? And they put it all together. You know, they help arrange it. And, like, they kind of do a lot of the more conceptual side of, like, what an engineer is doing, you know, like, in terms of just putting it together. And so that's what he's doing. Like, he's got his whole camp of songwriters, producers out there, and they bring in these artists and they develop them. They put songs together for them one way or another, however it has to happen. But he's the brains behind that. So, like, he deserves his fair share, too. That's what any producer does. So, you know, I think I think a lot of the hate towards him honestly just comes from people's misinformation because they don't understand how exactly. things really go. And so they look at him and say, wow, he seems exploitative. He seems like a bad person. He's screwing people over. But, like, no, he's really just doing normal stuff that like any record producer would be doing 
And, you know, he's got to look out for himself, too. You can't just help everyone else out all the time or you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, and even for, you know, someone like him, he's actually doing a lot more than he needs to be. And at the same time, these people that look at him and go, oh, wow, like he's taking advantage of everyone in Internet money and all this stuff. It's like he's you think you know how the industry works and you hear about him and you're like, oh, wow, that's that's awful. But the reality is he's the only one of the only people that's actually really open about it. And when he's open about it, he gets all this hate because people don't actually understand. Yeah, that's actually how it goes. Yeah, and that's an interesting point, too. Like, I think being open about how the industry works is, like, one way that it's really going to, you know, everyone's going to be on the same page. It's just, like, it's so secretive. Like, people don't know how it works until they've been there because they don't talk about it. Like, they don't, you know, people don't let you know about all that. These producers take the credit when there was really a lot of different hands involved. And that's, like, any... You know, any major release, like, there's normally, you look at the songwriting credits, and there's, like, six, seven writers on any hit song, usually. And that's because music mm -hmm. is a collaborative process. Like, seven heads is going to be better than one a lot of the time, especially when you're trying to make a product that is supposed to be widely accessible to a variety of people. It doesn't make sense to leave that all on one person because yeah. they only have one very specific point of view on what they think people would like, how they think the music should be made. And when you bring more people in, it really, like, balances it out more to where, you know, if seven people made it and it's really good to all seven of them, then it's probably more likely to be good to, like, 700,000 people versus if one person made it and then, you know, not as many people are going to get what they were trying to do or it didn't result in the best product and it just doesn't stand up against those six, seven songwriter songs. Yeah, man. And I, I think on that kind of that uh, that point is... I found it really funny how everyone was hating on Drake a while ago when all the Ghostwriter stuff happened. Yeah. But when I looked, I mean, you look into it and there's a billion songs out there right now. You can find them online. Like Drake is, you know, he has reference tracks for other rappers like Baka. And he, Drake even has reference tracks for Party Next Door and Party Next Door has reference tracks for Drake. But then some people hear that and they're like, oh my God, like, you know, Drake's taking advantage of all these guys. Like, he stole Party's song. It's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in that specific situation, I don't really know because I've heard a lot of things about... And, I mean, just seeing how OVO is, like, mm -hmm. it kind of seems like he runs his label as a hit factory where, like, all the best songs go to him and then they get to put out everything else, like, that's left over. Mm -hmm. But that's, I mean, that's probably, like, what they signed up for, at least to some yep. degree. Like, they made that decision and... You know, I'm sure they're still getting paid off that, so that's just mm -hmm. what they chose to do, you know? Sure. Um, like, yeah, again, if people know how that works, then, like, they're not going to have a problem with it, but people just don't understand how the industry goes, so they just think that that's, like, a malicious thing, and, like, mm -hmm. no, that's just how the business works. Mm -hmm. No, there's definitely some valid points to be made about OVO, for sure. I'm not, you know, because I've, I've definitely seen and heard some pretty serious things, but at the same time, people conflate those with, things that are completely normal and that's kind of where the issue is but yeah i mean i've had my opinions on on uh things that have happened with uh with his label um yeah of course yeah yeah okay so i'm gonna let you go soon i know you're a pretty busy guy um, i honestly i don't really care i'm enjoying our conversation oh, yeah? so me, ask, me too man. Ask away whatever you want to perfect okay it's yeah good I'm, to, I'm, it's just good to talk and also mm -hmm. you know knowing that we can put this knowledge out for everyone else like that's the real focus for me you know and that's and that's really like such a central part of my brand these days is putting out knowledge and educating people so that we can move towards that better industry where everyone has an understanding of what's going on you know like breaking down that curtain of for mystery sure. yeah i mean i told i'm totally with you i've seen your your tweets and uh and how much knowledge you you're putting out um and I'm all for it, man, because there's a lot of, you know, like you said, pulling down the curtain, there's a lot hidden um, that, uh, you know, new producers and online producers have no idea about. But these are basic things that they should know about and can know about. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like the industry. I mean, it's a game. If you don't know the rules of a game, how are you going to play and how are you going to win? Mm -hmm. You know, even on top of that. But it's like. If you don't even understand how the business works, how do you expect to get in it and succeed? You know, so it's just like you got to make sure that you know what's going on. But, you know, that's where I feel like people like us and, you know, the educators come in because 
there is that curtain and the people that are actually really behind it working every day, they don't have any reason to stop and like explain all of this stuff. And I don't blame them because that's not really their job to do. But like at the same time, you know, I believe, I, I think kind of like an economist, like I think that putting out this knowledge and benefiting, like helping out all these people in the industry, it'll benefit the industry as a whole. Like we will all start to succeed more if everybody understands it and knows what they're doing. Like, so that's how I see it. Like, I see it as a win-win. A lot of people are very guarded with giving out advice or information. And, I mean, I do paid consultations, too, so, like, I get that side of it. But I think it's still important to put out knowledge for everybody to enjoy, too. Like, putting a guard on knowledge is how you keep people out. And I don't think the music industry needs to be that exclusive. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not like it used to be. It's, it's getting more inclusive. And I think we need to continue moving in that direction. For sure. And a lot of people think that they'll lose money and lose you know or be at risk if they hide certain things um within the music industry and that's changed heavily in the past like four years but initially it was like all like a few producers pretty much running the online music uh business and no one else knew how to go about it really but i think what they found is if you're open about you know the information that you have generally your brand gets bigger you actually tend to make more money so it works the opposite of of uh how you would expect let's jump a little bit into twitter branding because i feel like from at least what i've seen is your twitter is a place that you tend to resort to quite often when you're promoting deals and things like that if a producer was to be on twitter what would you recommend to them would you recommend keeping it uh kind of just as a producer brand would you recommend personalizing it or what kind of advice do you have for that we need to view ourselves in the music industry as media personalities not as producers or as songwriters or artists because really the opportunity is there for you to go do a variety of things if you build up your personal brand you know from i've been you know i just got some free clothes to promote uh probably a few weeks ago from someone um you know different opportunities like it's, it's way more than just music anymore, so I feel like it's better, and especially for a producer too, I feel like the way that things have shifted is such that people used to be cool with just going on YouTube and buying beats off someone they'd never talked to, and like that was it, it was just a transaction, but I feel like these days people are kind of tired of that, and mm-hmm. so, you know, you can't just hide behind a logo and a visualizer anymore. Like, you really got to come out and show people, like, you are a human being, too. You have a personality. You are not just someone who sits there trying to sell beats every 20 minutes. And, I mean, sometimes I'm guilty of that. I think we all are sometimes. But, like, you know, you got to remember that there's more to it than that. Like, you got to give people something to to buy into. Like, you're providing value and entertainment in their life. And, like, it has to be relatable to them. You know, like, I can't relate to of a logo and a banner like i don't know anything about this person i don't even know what they look like i've never talked to them interacted with them like i always go the personal route i try to be very open and interactive with my followers and my audience and just like network you know because i mean one opportunities and two that's just how you're going to get more business is like being relatable and building relationships that's the way that i mean a lot of people ask me this and this is the million dollar question but i've never i mean i literally have run ads once like mm-hmm. I don't run ads at all. All of my money, and I've probably brought in thirty, forty thousand in like two, two and a half years, mm-hmm. is all from like directly talking to my customers and my clients, like and reaching out to them even and building relationships with people I'd never met before. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up turning into a business situation, and like everything's cool. Like I don't run ads at all. It's just not my thing. Like I prefer to be personal and build relationships and network. And like you can make a lot of money that way. And, I found it to be more consistent because like people actually know me, you know, like I have my yeah. clients phone numbers. I text them. We talk about things other than music even like, Absolutely. and sometimes that gets a little draining because I have, you know, a good number of them, but that's just part of the game. Like, you know, again, music is a collaborative process. You have to deal with people. You can't just sit in your bedroom and disconnect from the world and expect to make meaningful lasting art. Like it just doesn't happen. That's really important. Um, for me, a majority of my sales, uh, I, people who follow me would know this well, but a majority of my sales used to come from Instagram because I used to be so heavy on it. But 
part of that is because I started personal branding heavily too. I put my face out there. Um, you know, when I was trying to pitch sales or new deals or whatever, I would still have my face on there and, you know, recording a story or whatever. And one of the biggest things that came out of actually having myself as a person out there and even putting my real name out and things like that, uh, one of the biggest things that happened was not necessarily that the number of sales increased, but the quality or the the uh, sales themselves became bigger and better sales. Meaning, I'll give you one example. One example would be I built a, a, I built a connection with a rapper. Uh, actually, I won't say his name. But anyways, I built a connection with a rapper um, on Instagram. And we got to know each other personally, but just through social media. So we would, you know, DM and all this stuff every now and then. And he would always buy beats for me regardless of before we knew each other personally. But once we got to know each other personally, one of the bigger things that happened was I he I, I offered him, uh, what was it, an exclusive or a, an unlimited lease or something like that and for a set amount of money. And I even gave him a discount um, for that because, you know, I know him well and he's a returning customer. And he just goes, no, no, like even your base price without the discount is far too little. And he's like, I'm going to buy this beat, but I'm going to pay you a hundred dollars more. Yeah. I've had situations like that too. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Like Mm -hmm. building a relationship with someone and really, you know, being their producer and not just someone they found on YouTube Mm -hmm. and never talked to like makes a big difference, you know? And again, like you're saying, repeat customers, if you want to repeat customer from someone Building a relationship is the best way to do it because, I mean, mm-hmm. I very rarely ever have people that only come to me once. Yeah. Like, I pretty much always have repeat customers, at least if it's just two purchases. But, like, you know, I don't have a lot of one-offs and, like, I don't really mm-hmm. want a lot of one-offs. I prefer to have a consistent clientele because then I know that I'm going to pull in a certain amount of income every month and, like, have projects to work on and be, be working. So, yeah, like, I totally feel you. I've definitely had situations like that, too, where... I've offered a discount to people and they're like, no, no, I don't need it. I want to pay you full price or I want to pay you a little more even just because like I know it's worth it and you deserve that money. So like, yeah, building relationships is key. Like that's one thing, you know, and what you're saying about putting your face out there too. Like that's literally one of the first things I tell every one of my consultees. I'm like, you need to put yourself in front of the camera and like show people who you are. Like they're not going to just get that. Like you have to show them and paint a picture for them. Like, and visuals are the biggest thing for people. Like, I mean, the general population are definitely more geared towards, like, visual content these days. So it's, like, they're not going to put together. Like, one thing that I've really thought about a lot is, like, when you're online and you have a personality online, you know everything that you're doing. You know every single thing you're up to, both in the online realm and in your personal life behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. People online only know you for literally the content from you that they've seen and nothing else That's and right. from that they're going to draw their own conclusions make their own assumptions and fill in the blanks and a lot of people aren't good at doing that or it leaves them kind of confused because you know a brand is a message a brand is something where you have something that other people can relate to or derive some kind of benefit from usually like an emotional like an entertainment benefit you know people watch these people on Instagram do all this dumb shit all the time because in a way they kind of wish that that was them. And that's why that's so appealing. Like they're like, damn, like I wish I was living this cool ass lifestyle Mm -hmm. and jumping on the counter at Burger King, throwing smoothies at people and shit. (laughs) But like, you know, and it's like, it's just because normal people don't live. And like, you really got to paint that picture for them and give them something to buy into. And, uh, like, you know, really decide for themselves. But like I'm saying, a brand is a message. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I am about. Is this something that lines up with your values and your wants in an entertainer? And the clearer your message is, the stronger you are at putting it out there, the less guesswork people have to do. And then they can make a more informed decision. Is this something that I like, or is this something that is not for me? And either of those scenarios is equally good for you because if they know that it's for them and they really like it and it's very clear to them, then they're going to be a diehard supporter. And if it's very clear to them that you are not what they're about, 
then they're not going to waste their time or half-ass support you while they try to figure that out for themselves, you know? Like, it's way more important to focus on the people that are really into what you have going on and are going to support you and be like those ride or dies than to have a bunch of, like, apathetic people who really don't care, like, if you disappear tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, it's crazy, like, the way that customers are built through networking with, like, as a personal brand, I mean it's just so much better that way. I, I know that once you get a set amount or once you start reaching a threshold where there's a lot, um, then it kind of gets a little bit hectic trying to, you know, keep up with all of them, as you said, and, and reach out to all of them, but it's still so worth it. Like the connections you build, I mean, it's their value. They're invaluable. Uh, so I, for me personally, I'm, I'm looking at different aspects of branding now before it was just Instagram where's like, I literally just like I watched a Gary V video like three three years ago four years ago and he's like yeah post three times a day on Instagram so I was like okay like screw it I'll I'll try it and I started posting three times a day on Instagram and within two weeks I had my best sales month already and it was oh damn yeah it was crazy man like it was unbelievable to me so now I'm just looking at I saw the power of content and what that could do and now I'm just looking at and, and within the two weeks, I built repeat customers as well, which is nice. But now I'm looking at TikTok and I'm seeing other music producers on it. I think Nick Nash just got on it too. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at all these other guys that just do like remixes and shit like that. So I'm I'm trying to figure that out. I'm, I'm really excited. I think I'm going to, I think it's going to be good. So within the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be on there trying to do some creative stuff. Yeah, I'm in the same boat too. Like, mm-hmm. I've been looking at TikTok and I need to start getting on there. And this is the thing about TikTok, and maybe you've heard these discussions because it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, starting to be, um, you know, I saw some stuff on Twitter about it that really got my, like, wheel turning. Mm-hmm. But the thing about TikTok that makes it so valuable right now is they don't have an ad system in place yet. Like, mm-hmm. so the content, the algorithm for discovery and, like, your content getting out there is not at all affected by whether or not you're paying TikTok. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, I have a friend who um, his brother back home made a really funny TikTok video of his dad and he made this like meme page for his dad and it's literally like the second post on there. They have 40 followers, but it got like 1,200 views yeah. in like a day or two. Yeah. Like the ability for your content to spread on TikTok right now is so much bigger than any of these other platforms because they're not focused on making money off of you right now. Like they're not putting that wall in front of you. So yeah, TikTok mm-hmm. is great. I guess it's just a matter of like figuring out really how to gear producer content, like yeah. make producer content in that short form video format. Because mm-hmm. personally to me, like I think it needs to be more than just cooking up or something. Like there's gotta be some kind of comedy or story aspect to it in my mind for it to really like work out and blow up Mm -hmm. but if you do that you know the wall's not there for it to get stopped so like you'll start getting i mean even another client of mine was telling me he's got over like like on his account total he's got over two hundred fifty thousand views on tiktok and like he doesn't have that many followers but it's just like he keeps putting stuff out and they don't get in his way like he gets good Mm -hmm. views on it and people find it and like you know play it so yeah, TikTok is definitely like a big one right now, and I'm I'm really scared for when they do eventually, you know, switch it up and yeah. try to start making money off ads or whatever. But right now, like, you know, I think TikToks is, I mean, well, you think about even like what's going on in the music industry right now, um, like, um, what's it called? Old Town Road blew up off of TikTok, and that was like, you know, mm. a record breaking number one hit, huge worldwide like and that literally just started because it went viral on tiktok and everyone was making videos to it like that's the wave now you know yeah so i think you know it's it's hard for us to get into it as much because it's definitely there's starting to be like the generational gap between us and kids that are like a few years younger like was really where the generation kind of switched because we got all this technology when we were somewhat old enough to like have grown up without it, but like they've had it their whole lives. So they understand it and look at it differently than we do. And what I've been really trying to do is just figure out like that mindset. Like how do I look at this the way that they do? Because they know what's going on. Like these, these teens know what's going on when it comes to the social media stuff now. And like, I'm not even on TikTok, and that's the platform that's blowing everybody up. 
So, you know, we have to be diligent to make sure we stay up with the technology and the new platforms and don't fall behind. All right. That is all for today. Thank you guys for tuning in. Give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. If you're on that, give it a share. If you think other people could use this knowledge or enjoy it on their commute or whatever it is, uh, definitely helps me out a lot. You know, we're just trying to get the name um, and the yeah, and the, the name of the podcast out there. I, I want people to hear this stuff. So help me out if you can. Be awesome. And if you want to see another episode with Overseas where we get into uh, some different things and get into the developments in his life because he's in internet money now, it's that's huge. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Let the world know that you want to see it and it might just happen. Thanks again, guys, and have yourself a wonderful night.